0: So if you take out January, take out June, it was about four months to get through one chapter of the book. So you know that 2020 vision we hear about in C3? (laughs) It's just to finish the book of Galatians. (laughs) Uh, But so uh, today we're going to start with uh, Galatians 2 and uh, through the first 10 verses. And to get us started in that, I thought it'd be nice to get somebody else on the microphone, Uh, so I'm going to invite Liz just to come and read us through the first ten verses and then we'll get into a bit of a study of the word. Please welcome Liz.
1: Thank you. Okay, Paul writes, Then 14 years later I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas, and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Yeah, (laughs) Titus was very relieved. (laughs) Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me for God has no favourites. Instead, they saw that God had given me the responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter and John were known as pillars of the church, recognised the gift of God that God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do.
0: Thank you, Liz. I think Toby wants the microphone this morning. He's ready to preach. So in in chapter 1 up to um, in May, just cast your mind back. So what Paul was doing in the first chapter of Galatians was he was establishing his apostleship or his leadership credentials. And and the the gospel he had came from God and not from other people because he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. And uh, here... <clears throat> Paul uh, is demonst- demonstrates that both were validated by the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. So, in the first chapter, he's talking, I got it all from God. I got the gospel, uh, I got my leadership authority. Jesus met me where I was at, and that's, that's my credentials. But here he's saying, 14 years later, we met with the disciples and we came to a grants. Because he, he needed to do this because there were some that were questioning his leadership. Uh, and questioning how he fitted with the disciples. So they were establishing that they were all for one, as the series is. So they're preaching the same gospel and the same message. So they're all for one Jesus, all for one gospel, all for one good news. One one word, if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard used the word unity it would be another word you could say, that they were all in agreement and all for the one purpose. So over the next few weeks... Uh, we're going to talk through those ten verses, and talk about that cultural issue, the uncomfortable cultural issue, circumcision. Uh, but how how that what effect that had on the ability to be all as one and all for one, and being in unity, and and how that's relevant to us today, and what the stakes of being all for one are. So if we're not in agreement, or if we are in agreement, what's the benefit, or what's what's the risk if we're not? And what are the great outcomes when we are all for one? And today I want to touch on a little bit of the, the cultural issue, but um, more talk about that we're all on the, the same track, the same message. So, so in that first part where Paul comes up to Jerusalem and he says, right, we, we need to sort this out. We need to make sure we're all on the same track together, all heading in the, the, right, the right direction, all in the, the same way. So I just want to concentrate on the the first two verses this morning. Galatians 2, 1 to 2. And I'll just, just read it again in the NIV. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation. and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Let's just pray this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your presence, your peace, your power here this morning. May your words touch people's hearts and see transformation this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are at a decisive point in church history. Paul has been out for 14 years preaching the gospel, planting churches, making disciples, seeing people raised up. He hasn't been hanging out with the uh, the disciples. The disciples have basically had Jewish churches in Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish people. And Paul Although he's Jewish, he's been outside of that that territory and and starting churches amongst the Gentile people who historically, they didn't like each other and and the Jews weren't allowed to mix with the Gentiles and so they kind of had two cultures going on within the church. And so this is a crucial part in church history because if this went askew, if we didn't get the result we got, we potentially would have had two churches right at the start of church history in the first few, first dozen, 20 years. So a really crucial part, and by God's grace, the right solution, the right the right way came about, and and we're we're here today, and and we have the New Testament that we do. So, but what what Paul's concerned about? So he's been doing this for fourteen years, starting churches, making disciples, uh, raising people up, going from city to city, and and establishing churches in those areas. He's not concerned when, when he says. I want to make sure I'm not running my race in vain. What in vain means is without success or result or to no purpose. So Paul wants to go, I want to know that the last 14 years have been for nothing, haven't been for nothing. I want to make sure that all of this work, all of this hard work i put in for 14 years has a result and it's not just going to be undone by one decision. One translation reads, for fear that I was running or I had run my race in vain. So why would Paul, who you could kind of call if it was Marvel days, he was like the super apostle. He was doing all the crazy stuff. He was going out getting bitten by snakes and casting them to fire and shipwrecked and doing all this amazing stuff. Why would the super apostle be in fear that he'd been doing things in vain? Why, why would he care? Because he, he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He got saved dramatically. Uh, he's been doing amazing things. Why is he fearful that he'd been running his race in vain? Because he had had no reason to doubt his encounter. He wasn't fearful that he was preaching the wrong thing. He wasn't fearful that I had been kind of toiling away and I actually, yeah, you know, I've just decided the last 14 years I didn't do the right thing. I'm preaching the wrong and I went to the wrong places. He's not fearful that he was doing the wrong thing. He he was actually more certain than ever. Because he met Jesus, he had no reason to doubt any of what had happened, no reason to doubt the gospel. He he was so certain in the message he preached. We learnt uh, earlier this year that he said there is no other gospel, and if anybody should pretend to preach another gospel, even an angel, they be condemned, and you should ignore them and cast them out. And because there is only one gospel, you can't add anything, you can't take anything away from the gospel. There's only one gospel. So Paul is a certain kind of guy. He's very sure of himself, very sure of this message. But why would he be fearful? Nothing was threatening his certainty, but something was threatening his fruitfulness. He was certain that he was preaching the right gospel, he encountered Jesus, he was doing the right thing, but something was threatening his fruitfulness. The issue of circumcision, I'm not going to, go into what that means and, and the depths of that, that will be covered in the next two or three weeks, but what people were trying to do is force, force Jewish traditions onto new believers outside of the Jewish culture and that was stifling his fruitfulness. Fruitfulness is a bit of a Christian word, so I'll just explain a little bit. Is it? An explanation could be it's our ability to produce results. So it's my ability to go to work and to get hit the KPIs, hit the, the aims and the goals that I'm going for. And in church and ministry, our ability to multiply. Fruitfulness is you have one seed, a fruit tree grows, has multiple fruit with multiple seeds, and it multiplies uh, season after season. Fruitfulness is our ability to be effective. So Paul is concerned that all of this going on is stifling his ability to produce results, his ability to multiply, his ability to be effective in his ministry. So how does this apply to us? We we don't have the issue, if you haven't been around church for long, don't worry, we don't have the issue of discussing circumcision and other cultural things, but there are other modern day versions of this. So let's say we are, as a church, we've been around for 18 years, I haven't been there that long, I'm... Um, Only just that old. Just kidding. But let's say we've been in the community for 18 years, toiling away, um, building relationships, building a church, establishing a presence in the community. And somebody comes along, spreads a rumour, puts something in the media, puts something on social media about, not even directly about us, but about what they think we might talk about. The messages we might preach or the things we might believe Without understanding and then you go to work, you sit down for dinner with your family they're like, oh yeah, heard about what you guys believe. And immediately it's affected your ability to relate to them because these walls have gone up, these preconceptions, these misconceptions, these uh, prejudices against what, even an openness to God and, and what he m- might be about. It's just up straight away. So so let's say you're Hillsong, 30, 35 years I think they're about, I think they started in 1980 roughly, so 30, 35 years have been running and and just this week, some of you might have seen on Current Affair, I'll mention it because nobody cares what I say on the recordings but uh, the the Hillsong, you know, they've been toiling away, building uh whether you necessarily like them or not, I love their worship. There's lots of great things about Hillsong Church. They've been building, they've got resources, they do amazing things locally in Sydney and globally with their churches and their ministries. And They've been a blessing to the body of Christ worldwide with their worship. And then you get TV programs that kind of don't research things and just put up sensationalist articles or um documentaries, mockumentaries uh, about a thing that they think and, and immediately everyone that sees that is getting some sort of perception about that church and about what they do believe or don't believe and who goes there and who doesn't go there and that's affecting their ability to be fruitful but then that translates onto us because oh yeah uh, you, you're like you're kind of like the Hillsong Church or something and so, so immediately that projects and affects our ability to be fruitful because you have conversations in the market, pl- at work, and uh, and amongst family. Then that some bright spark decides to go and pick at a funeral, and with placards and just really <clears throat> like they think they're doing a good thing, but people see that on social media, they see it on, on the media, <clears throat> they see it globally. Might have happened in the U.S. in some hick town with some you know these these people that are just a bit. <laughs> Not not all there. God bless them and save them because they need it. But that they put these signs up and people think, and they post it and say, that's a representation of all Christianity. And how wrong could that be? And maybe it's a blog post or a social media about something that's been politicised or controversial or topical at the moment. Immediately someone puts up an opinion, then some people start shaping and boxing us into that view or that view and not you don't have the opportunity to reach and have that relationship and speak a word of wisdom or a word of truth uh, in, uh, one-on-one because it's affected our ability to be fruitful. So the media might decide to do those stories or maybe politicians or lobbyists will stand up and advocate for a law or something that's going on and say, Christians believe this or Christians would do that and they're putting words into our mouth and they're not even what we would speak. They're just saying because of their experiences, they believe Christians would do this or that, people spreading rumours. So this in our modern times is one way that is affecting our fruitfulness as a church and ministry and our ability to to reach and make disciples in, in our circles, in our social circles, our work circles, where we study. So it's affecting our ability to reach this generation, to see people saved by grace, Grace, which often is the very thing that people don't understand. It's the very thing that doesn't make it in all these types of communications because grace is a situation-by-situation thing and labels and banners and posts and likes and comments just can't translate grace. So all of a sudden, our work, our efforts, our conversations have these barriers or prejudices in place because what others have created as an experience for the people we are trying to reach. So with this concern, what did Paul do to confront the situation and try and protect this fruit of 14 years? Been toiling away for 14 years. He had to make sure that he and the disciples were on the same track, on the right track, heading in the right direction, acting all for one, all as one. Because he couldn't have him out, let's say he was in... Melbourne and we're here in Adelaide and couldn't have two different things going on. They needed to be in agreement. So he needed to make it happen. But how did he make that happen? Because he needed to make sure they weren't just preaching the same message but living the same message. Because he had heard the disciples were, were preaching this thing about how church could was no longer just for Jewish people but it was for the whole world, for the Gentiles. But some of the applications of it was where it was getting tricked up. So how did he go about it, and how do we stay on track and make sure that we are not running our race in vain? One of the first things he did is revelation. So Paul goes up in response to a revelation. So from from God externally. So we, we know that he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We know he had that relationship. And here again he's saying, I went by revelation. So he waited for God to tell him. It's 14 years later. I'm pretty sure this issue didn't just come up after 13 years and 11 months. I'm sure it'd probably been around for at least a few months, if not a few years. And it came to the point, and the story's then actually in Acts chapter 15 and talks about it. And Paul, there were people that came to his Gentile churches and and, and they discussed it because they came to him and he's like, no, this isn't right. But 14 years it took him to get to Jerusalem to confront the issue because he went in response to revelation. He didn't go in response to anger. He didn't go in response to uh, media. He didn't go in response to just this vindication thing. He waited for the revelation. So, so what is this revelation? Uh, it's not human in, uh, invitation. It's revelation is when God speaks to you. It's where the Holy Spirit, who is available to all, can whisper, can speak to your heart and guide you. Sometimes it could be loud and audible. I personally have never had a loud, audible voice of God. I've had revelation by reading the word, God speaking to me through the word, through praying, through just being still and listening. Often it's in the the quiet. Sometimes it might be in a message. It might be just one thing somebody says or a conversation with Somebody else, another Christian who we're just talking about things of God and sparks and God speaking to you, that's revelation. How do you get revelation? Through all of those, but it's the Holy Spirit that's guiding. It's the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. What is our response to revelation or what should it be? Here we see Paul's response was to obey. He could have just kept doing his thing in Melbourne. Just like you know, we're in Victoria. We're going to do our thing. We love our footy. We're we're you know we 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 love our state. We we don't like Sydney. We don't like Adelaide. All the, he could have just stayed there, had a fruitful kind of limited life in Melbourne, and kind of been like a local celebrity pastor, and done done that thing, and been on local community TV uh, and local radio. Not to say that you know aiming for radio and and, and TV is the thing, but just. The local context, that would have been the limit of his ministry. But his response was, this isn't going to be an easy conversation. We, we read later in Galatians 2, he confronts Peter, and he has a rough old conversation with him, and he says, you might have been one of his 12 disciples, but you're out of line. You're backtracking on your gospel. And he, he pulled him in. He, he, he wasn't shy. But his response, he wasn't afraid of the confrontation, or he wasn't afraid of what might be. His response was to obey. He wasn't uncertain of the future. He was motivated by obedience to that revelation. The second thing about Paul's response is with. So he was dealing with the issues, and and when we're dealing with issues, and we've got a journey, or we've got somewhere to be, or we're doing ministry... We're doing life. It's not helpful to be by yourself. The Bible says, "Where two or more are gathered, there I am in the midst." Uh, do not give up meeting together. It's not about being alone and doing our own thing and not not being in community. Paul always took somebody with him. In this case, he took companionship. He took Barnabas, the son of encouragement. You know, when you're in ministry, when you're doing life, when you're out getting beaten when you're at work and and your family situations sometimes we just need a little bit of encouragement to take with us we need somebody around us that can speak that encouragement speak you're doing great keep going you know you're going to get there you're going to push through you're going to get through this situation he also took Titus which there's uncertainty on on the meaning of his name there's a few different versions but a couple of them are pleasing or saved so Titus means pleasing or saved so he took pleasing and encouragement and salvation with him on that journey and and so here he is modeling discipleship he's bringing people with him so titus was greek he's gentile he was saved came into the community became a disciple and then paul's taking him along to this, this situation in jerusalem one, it's leadership training. He's saying, like, come along, be with me. We're going to talk leadership. Also, he needed witnesses. He needed a couple of witnesses to this conversation to make sure that everyone heard it and it spread out and it wasn't just him going back and saying, yeah, I had this conversation and now this, this is what we're doing. He needed other witnesses to do that. But also, he's, he's, bringing, he's opening up his relationships because Paul has met the disciples before, 14 years ago. But he's saying... Titus, Barnabas, I know some great people. I want you with me because I want you to meet them and to establish your own relationship. He wasn't saying, now I'm the only one that speaks to the disciples and and then they speak to me and then I speak to you and I'm going to bottleneck the situation. He's saying, no, no, these are my relationships. These are your relationships too. Come, let's do discipleship. Let's do this life together. The third thing is leadership. So Paul wanted to clarify this this, uh, revelation. He just wanted to make sure sure that what the disciples were preaching, what he was preaching, was the same thing. He he knew he was doing the right thing. He wanted to make sure the application of it was correct. So in what could have been a tumultuous situation, we read that he did it privately and appropriately. So in verse 2, jumping back up, I presented to yes. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. Because Paul was right, but he could have done the wrong thing. There's a difference between being right and doing the right thing. They're not necessarily the same, the same thing, at the same time. So he did it appropriately. He said because. It, In other writings, Paul talks about conscience and not leading people astray just because you might be figuring out something, not to necessarily have that conversation around people that might not kind of be at the level of understanding or that could actually cause them to stumble. So he says, this this is a pretty big issue. I'm going to talk to the people that we need to figure it out. Let's butt heads, let's get in a room, let's close the door, let's figure it out, let's do it privately. And then we can go out once we, we, we have a resolution. So his fear was not so much that they were preaching different things and they'd interpreted the gospel wrong, but the false teachers that were coming in and saying, you need to do these things, the Gentiles need to behave like the Jews to be, be real Christians. He wanted to make sure that the apostles were, the disciples were standing up to these false teachers and their cultural prejudices weren't getting in the way and letting these teachers entice them away from the gospel. And thankfully, as I said earlier, their leadership did come through. They, they realised the situation. And we'll, we'll study that situation a little bit more in the next couple of weeks. So ha- how does this apply to us? Well, personally, for, for me, when I moved to Australia, it was ten and a half years ago, I knew I needed to go to do something different. Uh, go to, I was studying in New Zealand, I needed... I felt like God was calling me to something bigger, different, and uh, to to stretch out to to step out of the boat and to to study, to study his word and to uh study ministry and learn from some of the best people on the planet. But I didn't know where that was. So I had this pressing on my heart that that's what I needed to do. That what I was doing at the right at that time and place was not where I needed to be. It wasn't the so God was speaking to me and is revealing things to me through his word. So there was, uh, I remember from C3 College, I was just inquiring, I just knew I needed to study and uh, do something. And I inquired in the States, in New Zealand, Australia for places to study. Got this prospectus from C3 College, opened it up and banged straight away. It was like, this is where I need to be. At the same time, it wasn't just, just one situation. It wasn't because it was not graphically wonderful, this, this prospectus, but it was just like opened it up and God was there in that moment. But at the same time, I was getting people speaking to my life. There was prophecy and people saying, you need to step out of the boat. And th- all these things were lining up. And God was revealing through all these relationships and situations a direction for me. I had people with me. So number two, I had friends. I had uh Others around me who were praying and encouraging and could see the the passion that I had the, to do something different, to to step out, and were encouraging, and even uh, giving financially to that dream and that vision. I had people with me, and we were doing life together. We had uh, cell groups, as we called them then, and we were leaders together, and we were helping each other out. We had a great community. <coughs> then I had leaders around me who were also encouraging and also prophesying, giving direction. But very uh, interesting situation. I came that close to joining a band and touring and ministry. Like, literally that close. I mean, I mean literally, figuratively, yeah. whatever, both, yeah. but it was that close. About two months before I made the decision to move to Australia and study, there was a, a YWAM band that were based in our church and they were looking for a bass player uh that was kind of the last time I seriously played the bass was about nine ten years ago uh so i was I was that close I auditioned with them a couple of times. they saw there was progress and alert their music and um then the leaders they went and prayed together and said who who do we need in our band?" they came back and said, "We really like you. everything lines up." But we just feel like God said there's something else for you, and it's not this. S- something great, something different, but it's not this. So, um, yeah, you're not, you're not coming with us. <laughs> so, as a, what was I, 1920 at the time? You know, that sort of thing, and and I even got a scripture to back it up. Like, <laughs> And actually it felt like at the time that it was proper revelation. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to find the one scripture that says, yeah, I'm going I'm to join this band. Uh, <laughs> it was a psalm and it talked about um, praising to the ends of the earth and kind of something about making music and people worshipping and, and travelling. And it just seemed to line up so well. Because that, that was often a teaching, you, you know, get scripture, you've got to get multiple scriptures to line up these major changes of direction. But i found historically, Jesus speaks to me differently. Sometimes it's that still voice, it's that still stubbornness. uh, But it, it always lines up with the Bible, but doesn't necessarily always the Bible. It's people around me, it's all sorts of situations. I remember when I was 13 and deciding which high school to go to. My parents wanted me to go to a Christian school. I got into a few schools, and one of them was public boys' school. My parents wanted me to go to a Christian school because it's a Christian family and they thought that would be great and it was more expensive. They wanted to pay for me to go to this school and I, for some reason, knew I needed to go to this boys' school. I remember talking to one of my cousins who was a bit older and she was like, so why do you want to go to the boys' school and not Middleton Grange? I said, um... The sport, the better at sport. I know, I was just kinda making up re- I just knew I had to be there in my head. I was like, no, that's the school I need to be at. Uh, but I just kinda had to make up reasons that other people might relate to. <laughs> <laughs> but d- down the track, like I it was just it was just this assuredness that I had to be there. And funny things happened at the school. I became the head boy, what you call school captain. Uh, I wasn't expected to be put in leadership opportunities, and amazing things happened, and uh, and some tough situations happened where I was, but I was able to speak the gospel to in front of 1,200 boys like quite regularly, and God put me in that situation for to bring the gospel, bring the word in, but I just knew through that relationship I just had to be there. So very similar, so. I learnt through that experience when it came to where am I going in the future, this band say, no, you're not going. My other leaders kind of said, yeah, no. Um, so I had to submit to that. There's no point when the the leaders in the band and my leaders say, looks really good, but you're not going. There's no point saying, well, stuff, yeah, I'm just going to book pfft. Book flights on the same, you know, book myself on the same flight, and I'm just going to follow you around. That's not going to work. you have just going to, got to su- submit to to that leadership and kind of working it out with others. And then two months later, I made the decision, and another two months later, I was in Australia. So kind of just pretty much in the scheme of life, just in the little, little flick, and ten and a half years later, here I am in Adelaide, met Carmen in Sydney, we have got two kids, one of them's making a bit of noise at the moment, and you just wonder, like, life could have been quite different, but just by uh, revelation and just being sure, I just then followed on from there, I just kept seeking God, so I got knocked down, but I... Like, no, there's, there's something great for me. So I could have just, like, gone into a little corner and just kind of kind of sobbed and sulked for the next couple of years and, you know, that was my opportunity to do something different and be cool and, like, you know, do ministry and whatever. But I just kept seeking God. I just knew there was something for me. I keep seeking that revelation. I had people around encouraging uh, and the situations lined up and the leaders were encouraging and saying, it's time to go. It's time to go. So we came in agreement. So keys to, to being fruitful, to staying on track, to not running the race in vain is to make sure we keep that revelation in our life, that we keep with people and we, we keep around leadership and, and the changes in our life. We're, we're talking to leaders and we're, we're asking for wisdom and input into our situation. Acts chapter 15 kind of has the the story, more the historical view of the situation and explains that the false teachers came into the the situation. And then Paul meets with with Barnabas and Titus and the apostles and elders. Acts 15 verse 6 says, The apostles and elders met to consider this question. That is the question of, Do the Gentiles need to be circumcised or not? After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. So they had met together, Peter, Paul, the disciples, people he was with. They discussed it privately. Then Peter gets up and makes an announcement to everybody. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. So Peter saying, in my personal experience, I was told to go and visit Gentiles. And God revealed to me that the gospel is not just for us as a Jewish culture, but it's available now to everybody through the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, he did not discriminate between us and them, For he purified their hearts by faith, saying by faith rather than by physical action and adding something to the gospel, just purely by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. In verse 10, he says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? A yoke is, um, there's a verse that's quite commonly used in churches, like, do not be unequally yoked. A yoke is a thing that was put between two oxen to pull carts and plows, and so it's the kind of a wooden thing that would... You'd have two animals side by side and it would tether them together and then they would pull and put the weight into things together. That's the physical version. The spiritual application is a yoke in Hebrew culture is the, it's the covering or the binding under the teaching you're in. So if you were a member of a church or a community and the local rabbi or priest was, the, the, whatever they preached Whatever limitations or restrictions or openness they preached, that was the yoke that you were under. Whether it was oppression, whether it was grace, whether it was forgiveness, or whether there was a whole list of rules and obligations you had to fulfill, that's the yoke. So he's saying, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? As we've learnt through the book of Galatians and the gospel and the Ten Commandments last year, the purpose of the law in the Old Testament was to show people that no matter how many different rituals you went through, it was impossible to be perfect. That you could not be like God. That you can't, the whole purpose was not to make people do all these things to earn salvation, it was to show that only God's perfect. In the New Testament we get grace and we don't have to do any of that. We're saved by grace through faith. And he's, so he's saying why, why are you putting these things, this, this kind of covering of teaching, this yoke, this restriction, this covering on people that are believing through grace, uh, believing through faith and being saved by grace? Why are you trying to put this restriction on them? Because Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When you understand the, the background of what the yoke is, And then Jesus says, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah. That's for somebody this morning. I can feel it. I can't really see my words but I can feel it. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. (coughs) Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, many people... Joyce Meyer says, many people try to feel spiritual by obeying religious laws. But they never get around to feeling good because there is always one more law to follow. You can't do it by trying to tick off the list of laws. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. He says, all those yokes those teachings, those restrictions, those things in the communities that, that teachers and priests have put in place. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. He doesn't say life will be easy and light, but he says my teaching, my expectations, what I put on you, all I'm saying is grace. That is light and it's easy. It's not about obeying the religious laws to try and feel good and like you've done it. 'Cause there's always one more law he's It's done through grace. George, could I get you please? Just ask everybody just to close your eyes this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. And Maybe you've come along to church this morning and maybe you new, maybe you've been here for a while, a few weeks, a few months, a few years. Maybe you came into the service from your week, you've felt burdened, you've felt Restricted, Like there's been a whole bunch of things that no matter what you do, you cannot feel good. But maybe you came in here and the room might have felt light, might have felt easy. The weight might have been lifted off your shoulders. That's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's what Jesus talks about. And my yoke is easy, my burden is light. the requirements for being saved and having eternal life just through faith just believing through revelation Jesus will reveal himself and has revealed himself to many people in this room whether it's through conversations or situations just like Paul got on the road to Damascus His was dramatic, and other people saw it. It was lights. Sometimes it's quiet and still. Sometimes it's a comfort, a conversation, a person around you. Maybe it's the presence of God in this room. But I'd like to give people an opportunity this morning to say, that's what I want. I want... The yoke of Jesus. I want what is easy, what is light. I want relationship with Jesus. I want to come into that relationship. Not through anything I can do, just by believing that Jesus is who he says he is. And that by believing in him all my sins are forgiven. And that weight that's on my shoulders of sin and of oppression and depression and sickness and that weight of expectation be taken off my shoulders this morning I'll give you an opportunity in a moment if you've never made that decision i ask you to stick up your hand and uh, so I can see it and acknowledge that and I'd love to pray with anybody that's here this morning there might be one there might be a few however many there are I'd love to give you that opportunity to receive Jesus this morning believe that he's revealing himself to people right now so if there's anybody here this morning that would like to receive Jesus and come into relationship with him just ask you to lift up your hand just while every eyes closed head bowed just in this beautiful intimate moment where somebody might acknowledge and come into relationship maybe you've been in church and you have thought about doing this for a long time we make sure that at every, every service there's an opportunity because we don't want anybody to miss out. Is there anybody here this morning that would like to say I'd come into a relationship with Jesus? Maybe you've done it before. It's not a first time. Maybe you've been in church. You've done your own thing. Maybe you've just still been in church but all of a sudden it's kind of clicked this morning. Clicked this week. God's been revealing himself to you just like He did to Paul. Is there anybody here this morning that would like to say, would like to come back into a relationship with Jesus Just ask you to raise your hand if there's anybody here this morning cool. Just ask everybody to to stand you can open your eyes to stand but then just to stand and close your eyes and just have your hands out to Jesus this morning presence of the Holy Spirit is here. It's a word for somebody this morning. You have been taking things upon yourself. As Matthew 11 says, maybe you're weary and burdened. Jesus says I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. If you felt heavy and burdened this morning, just raise your hands and give that to Jesus this morning. Just lay it down at his feet. Take his yoke upon you. Is there anybody here this morning that felt like that word of the yoke is easy and the burden is light for you? Maybe you felt extra burden, extra heavy. I ask you to take a step of faith this morning. I'd love to pray with you, pray for you. See the Holy Spirit come and lift that off your shoulders. Lift that oppression, lift that burden, and replace it with His presence and His yoke. Is there anybody? Brave this morning to come step forward and receive some prayer. Even if you're in your seats now, I just ask you to still join with us. You can pray for these people or you can. Just look away to Jesus right now and ask what he's revealing to you. What's he saying about your current situations? beautiful thing people encountering Jesus if you haven't seen that before it's Holy Spirit it's moving in people's lives the word I was getting for pretty much the group that was up here was freedom there is where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom it's for freedom that Christ has set us free the devil comes to steal kill and destroy but Jesus comes to give life and life in abundance. And just take another opportunity. Just, just ask everybody to close their eyes one more time. Just feel like to provide another opportunity. If there's somebody here that did not put up their hand before to receive Christ, to come into a relationship, just wonder, spend more time in His presence. Is there anybody who, for the first time or done it before I'd like to do that just ask you to put your hand up high in the air I'd love to pray with you and you don't have to fall on the ground don't worry that won't happen just ask is there anybody here this morning maybe you've been thinking about it for a while just want to give one last opportunity